The first reading is from Isaiah, the 51st chapter. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 138. I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The second reading is from Romans, the 11th chapter. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the gospel of our Lord. All right, so today not a lot of lessons or uh, personal stories or stories in the world on just the, the gospel lesson has a lot to say to us, and if... God help me, we'll communicate it well. So at this point in the Bible lesson, Jesus has personally led his disciples. They've walked 25 miles north. They've walked from the Sea of Galilee, which is about 700 feet below sea level, and they've walked those 25 miles, ascending 2,700 feet to the foothills of Lebanon. 2,000 feet above sea level to the place where the Jordan River begins. Jesus stops their walk near this Caesarea Philippi. The destination, this location of Caesarea Philippi, it really mattered to them, and hopefully by the time we've remembered what's going on there, it will matter to us. The city is an icon city. It is a monument, if you will, to religious, social, political, economic struggles. There in Caesarea, for over a thousand years, the Canaanites have been worshiping their false god, Baal. There in Caesarea, the Greeks, they invaded that land, they conquered it, and then they established a temple to their god, Pan, which was then named that city, they named that city afterwards, the Paneus, the city of their God. Later, when the Romans came, they conquered from the Greeks that land, and then they named it after Caesar, hence Caesarea. Herod built a city there. When it was his time to rule and reign, he built up that city even more with the blood, sweat, tears, and taxes of the people in that area, he constructed buildings, massive buildings, and a massive temple to the Roman God, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Romans said, Caesar. There was there a cave known as the Gate to Hades, to the dead, to hell, if you will. This cave was so haunting so dark, so deep, that in those days, no length of cord constructed and put together by humans ever reached the bottom. That is the place to where Jesus led his disciples. To the land of cursed Canaanite worship, to the shadows of Caesar's temples, to that iconic, symbolic, historical place, Jesus travels and he stops and there he speaks with the disciples. He asks them a question Who do people say 
the Son of Man is. In light of all you've seen, in light of all that you've experienced in this religious travels, and now in this place, with one thing on one side and one thing on the other side, all the symbolism in there, who do you say I am? We can pause with that question for a moment. Let's pause like they did and remember what has happened. And maybe one of our prayers is that we will never grow tired of hearing all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus said. Whether we hear it once or where we hear it 10,000 times, but it will be fresh and beautiful in our ears. For the first 16 chapters, Matthew has been revealing to us Jesus, Son of God, Messiah of God. We read about angels in the beginning, how they announced this very thing. Then we read shortly after that about demons who would know who a Jesus is, and they would actually obey his command and leave and follow his instructions. So we had angels and demons who knew Jesus was, but would the people of God ever figure it out? Then with that, we read of the Holy Trinity at his baptism. And at baptism, we had the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all in one place, three persons, but one, the mystery there revealed for all to see that this is Son of God. It is God himself filled with the Spirit. And as soon as that's established, he heads out into his mission field, his mission and ministry, if you will. And as soon as he starts that, he goes in the wilderness to pray, to fast and to pray and get ready for this spiritual three years that he's going to do. He doesn't even get a chance to rest because as soon as he enters that wilderness to prepare himself, the tempter is there and the temptations are there and the spiritual war is on. We read about the calling of his first disciples right after that. We read about his teaching of about repentance for people to, to return to the Lord their God to repent, for people to confess all the ways in their minds, their hearts, their motives, their whole lives, confess everything that they do that is contrary to God's law. Confess it. We've heard his call to do that, that they would believe the good news, that God's love and forgiveness and his redemption would win. It's more powerful than our capacity to sin. We read about his power and, and love miraculously displayed day in and day out, how he healed anybody who came to him. He didn't ask whether they had, had gotten good grades. He didn't ask how they invested their lives. He didn't ask whether they had successfully done things or failed. He didn't question their motives. If they came up to them and he, they had a need, he didn't wonder if they were going to use it and spend it wisely. He just gave healing and love to people. We read about those stories time and time again. We also read about worldly religious leaders, powerful people, people who have privilege and prestige, if you will, who had their lives in order and in control. They didn't want to submit to God's authority in Jesus, and they didn't want to recognize his authority. We have read of his silencing creation storms recently. We have read about his walking over the waters, the seas, and we've read about miraculous feedings, at least two of them, where tens of thousands of people were fed. After 16 chapters, the disciples and everybody who has heard this book, we know that Jesus is the promised one. He has come to establish the kingdom of God. There is no uncertainty there is no question. There is no rival. 
There is no equal in all of human history to what Jesus has done in these first 16 chapters. Jesus is the Christ of God, and he is the Son of God, period, exclamation mark. After 16 chapters, we have been given a good look at what the kingdom of God is about because it has been displayed by Jesus. Because the power, love, wonder, and works, Jesus, there can be nothing less than a recognition, Son of God. And that Son of God, He came for us. He, come, he came to, to save those who are broken and lost. That's us. He came to set people who are, who are enslaved to their sinful ways free. That's us. To reconcile all of the children of God to their Heavenly Father and to show all of the world, all of God's kids, this is the way home. After 16 chapters, the disciples have followed Jesus now through all of that to this place in Caesarea Philippi, the place where religions clash, where culture wars rage, where kings and their governments enslave people. And in that place, they even were feeding the people to wild animals for entertainment. In that place of good versus evil, in that place of truth versus lie, Jesus asks, who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Now, Simon Peter's answer was a God-inspired answer. He answers, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, we know that written words... Sometimes they're misunderstood. Frequently, I have sent a text message or an email message, and I be, might be smiling on my side of the message, but they take it as I'm like frowning, and then they get upset or something, or I might take it as serious, and they might take it as playful. Whatever it is, there's a lot of peril sometimes in sending text messages and email messages or message in Word because they can't hear your voice, they can't see your gestures, all those other things that communicate are missing. So we have Peter's words, his confession, you are the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. What we don't know is did he stand on his feet, square his body up, and, and declare it with raised hands, you are the Messiah of God, and you are the Son of the living God? Maybe. Did he sit down when he spoke and say it with somewhat solid faith, you're the Son of the living God? Or did he say it with maybe even a question in his words? Well, you are the Messiah. Um, you are the son of the living God, right? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe a little bit of all three. Because on any given time in our life, we might be bold. There might be other times we're fairly confident. There might be other times like, holy smokes, do I really believe what I believe, right? So, so with this, Jesus is recognizing where the disciples are. He knows their minds. He knows their hearts. He knows their fears and their hopes and their dreams. And so he follows up Peter's statement with a God promise. Upon his answer, Jesus then gives a promise. Jesus says, I will build my church. That is divine promise. Jesus says, I will build my church. There's no qualifiers. There's no conditions. There's no caveats. 
That is a promise from the Son of God who is true and faithful. And if you think about it from the beginning of time with God's interaction with the creation throughout all of the scriptures, not one time in history has God the Father, Son, or Spirit, has they ever made a promise and failed to deliver or keep that promise, regardless of the worthiness or unworthiness of the people receiving the promise. God is merciful. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love, regardless of humanity's response to him. He has proven every promise true ever since the beginning, and now on this day, to that answer, Jesus says, I will build my church. There's a couple reasons maybe why he had to say those words to the disciples and to Christians throughout all time, including us. Maybe the disciples had a bit of low morale at that point. We highlighted the good things, right? All those 16 chapters of proof that he's a son. Well, after all that Jesus had done, after all that the disciples had witnessed Jesus do and say, and, his, and the person doing it, this new kingdom of God that they had envisioned and longed for and hoped for for hundreds and hundreds of years, that kingdom of God was absolutely not coming to life. It was not becoming reality. The hope for Messiah was one that the people would immediately recognize and gather behind and follow. This, the Messiah that they had hoped for would be the one that the politicians would all get in line behind and support and make that world come to life. The Messiah was one that the religious leaders would support and, and obey. And this Messiah was going to set them free from the Roman captives and make them a premier nation amongst nations for all times. And well, Jesus, well, at this point, he's only being followed by 12 guys. After all the hundreds and thousands he's fed. He's only being followed by people before that who, well, they had an ache or a pain or a physical need and they needed healing. That's who found him. As soon as they got healed, we don't see them following Jesus. Or they got hungry and they knew that he would give food. The only people that were following Jesus were people that were interested in their selfish appetites and selfish ways or their needs. Other than that, at this point, Jesus was being rejected, harassed, questioned, antagonized, and threatened by folks, the leaders, the representatives of God and God's people at that point. So Jesus says to Peter after he makes that confession, he says, Peter, apostles, they all were there. He says, I will build my church. And he's saying as if to say is, I know the future doesn't look very hopeful for you. I mean, I know that your dreams, they're not unfolding the way you thought they would. That the, your, what you see coming is not what you had hoped for. I know that by all outward appearance, things are not working out the way you had hoped. And maybe people looking at our country and the history of the world right now can be saying the very same things. I'm, my future is not what I had hoped. The things happening in the governmental places is not what I hoped. The things happening in the communities and in the church, when you just look at world events, there could be a lot of trouble stirring up right now, and we could be going to Jesus and saying, what? Well, Jesus says, I will build my church. Believe me, Jesus says when he makes that promise, if only because of the miracles I've done for you by themselves, believe me, I am the Messiah of God, I am the Son of the living God, and I will build my church. That statement would become a tremendous source of encouragement for disciples then and, and even now. 
remembering all that Jesus has done, piling it into one massive mountain of historic reality. And at the very pinnacle of that mountain, the promise that Jesus will build his church, the disciples could climb that mountain of historical truth and stand on that pillar and believe because they could see through all the muck and mire of this world and they could see the other side that God has made his promise. He's going to build his church and he's prepared a place for me. His kingdom will come. His kingdom is eternal. Everything else goes away, but that's what they could see through when they stood on top of 16 chapters of Jesus' miraculous love and evidence. Jesus builds his church. There's another reason why, maybe, that um, Jesus made that promise. It's to confirm the authority. Who has it? Who doesn't have it? Right? The church is, is not built... Sometimes we'd like to think so, but sometimes the church is not built on clever or attractive worship techniques or particularly inspired talkers, speakers, presenters. And we know of churches in our country and throughout time where there has been a particularly charismatic leader, not necessarily grounded in the word and grounded in Jesus and focused on Jesus, but boy, they have had big followings and lots of money and prestige. That's probably not the church that Jesus is talking about. We know that the church that he's talking about is not built on guilt or a promise of of prosperity or other manipulations. The church that Jesus is talking about is not built on strategic marketing plans that are meticulously and professionally carried out. The church of Jesus Christ is built by Jesus and those who know him and who make him known. That simple The overwhelming evidence of God's power, love, and authority is from God himself. The inspiration of faith, hope, and trust, it is God himself. The capacity to believe comes from God himself. Everything that is firm that the church build on is God himself. The rest of it is fluff. God is personally responsible to create, maintain, and prosper his church. It's the church he builds. He is the authority. He is the foundational rock, and he's everything from that rock to the heights of heaven. The church is then simply the gathering of God's people who live in a blessed relationship with Jesus, who who are helping others discover and live in this blessed relationship with Jesus. About an hour ago or so, we had... Several families in here, they had children. We had like over 30 people here this morning. So, and the kids were just sitting on the laps of their parents. And when, when I saw that, I'm thinking, that's church. They've got God the Father, if you will, holding on to them. And all they have to do is just be loved and provided for and cared for. And the only thing that they contribute that's beautiful to their parent is a smile and a hug and just a beautiful presence. Their just existence is a joy and delight to the parent and or the uncle holding them, and or the other family members holding them. That's the church. God has done everything. He is the authority. We're just the children to sit on his lap and just say, thank you, Abba. The church simply receives the gifts of God. We embrace the gifts of God and the God who gives them, and then we share them with everybody that's around us. Simple to be church. 
In the book of Timothy, chapter 2, or 2 Timothy, chapter 1, there's a neat little piece in there that in some ways kind of summarizes some of these things today. Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The gift of faith in all of you have seen, right? Fan that into a flame, which is in you through the laying on hands, through baptism. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, who calls us to holy living, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested in the appearing of our Savior, who has abolished death, brought life, and immortality to light through the gospel. And the gospel is the Messiah of God, Son of the living God, for whom we confess, and cling, and share. At the edge of two worlds in Caesarea Philippi, two worlds there, there are a group of Jesus followers, and they're huddled together in Jesus. And with the power of the Holy Spirit in them, they understand and they declare who Jesus is. And though they would continue to stumble occasionally as, as they engage their mission and ministry to, in faithfully serving their Lord and sharing the good news, they would stumble and fall. Sure, they're people. But their confession, Jesus, the Christ, Son of the living God, it would empower them, it would ground them, it would support them, sustain them, and give them joy, reason, and purpose that they could continue on day in and day out, no matter the context of the world that they were in, whether they were in prisons or where they were feasting in the middle. With that confession, they would go forward. 2,000 plus years later, we gather and we remember this day. With all of the world's monuments of sin and truth wars around us, and there are many right now, we remember and maintain the history of all that Jesus did and all that he said. And we, we don't let them chisel that mountain down, make it flat. We keep it a mountain for all people to see. We will remember who Jesus is. When we leave church today, we will absolutely be affirming the, the words that he is the Messiah of God, the Son of the living God, and he is my Savior and Lord, and on him I will stand, and in him I can rest. And outside of that, there's no standing and arresting. And as an epic struggle, struggle continues before us as a church, there is tremendous uncertainty in our nation, tremendous unrest in many people in our nation. With that before us, if the disciples could be in Caesarea Philippi, we can be today. We can remember our call to follow. We can remember all the saints who have preceded us in faith. And we remember that if we're willing to follow him, he's God. And he is able to build his church in us individually, collectively, and across the face of this earth. With Peter's declaration, God help us to know Jesus. And God help us to make Jesus known. Amen.
Let us declare our faith. We'll use the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord Jesus, we call you Lord. We ask that you help us to live as though you are the Lord of our lives. Graciously turn from us all false doctrines and evil living. Return us to live according to your holy will and word. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we ask that a a medical remedy for COVID-19 be discovered and rapidly shared across the earth. We ask that you put an end to the global turmoil inspired by political greed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As St. Peter and the apostles received the good news of Christ and then invested their lives into faithful obedience, we ask that your spirit inspire the church today, that we would receive the good news and live in faithful obedience. Work in and through us so that the number of Christ's followers may be increased. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for sharing your children with us for a time and a season. We ask that you would bless those we know and love who are celebrating birthdays this week. Father, we want to give you thanks and praise that you have led husbands and wives, that they'd first be friends and then they would be married, and then, Lord, you'd bless them with families. And, Lord, for all those who are celebrating wedding anniversaries this week, we ask that you'd bless the family and that you'd help the promises to love win. Lord, we bring before you those we know and love who are in need of healing in any form. We ask that you would comfort them, sustain them. If it gives you glory, that you'd bring healing to them and surround them with gentle, Christ-like people that accompany in their times of trouble. Lord, we ask that you be with those we name in our hearts now. One more prayer request, Lord, if it gives you glory. Let your Holy Spirit inspire a Christian reformation in this nation and the nations of the earth. Reform us so that we might love like you love, serve like you serve, that we would be humble, grateful, and obedient. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend ourselves and all for whom we pray. 
we will trust in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.